good morning. Good to see all your smiling faces. Got the air conditioners going again. <laughs> kind of an important thing, right? Ah, uh, well. Let's open with prayer this morning. Ah, Heavenly Father, God, we thank you that you love us, that you are here in this place. Lord, it's our desire to worship you, to lift up the name of Jesus, to exalt you in this place this morning. Lord, we welcome you. You said if two or more of us would gather, that you would be here. So, Lord, we thank you for that. We welcome you. We ask you, Lord, to speak to our hearts today. We ask you to move upon us. God, we're, we're weak. Uh, we, we need reminders of who we are. We need uh, a sense of your presence. We need, Lord, so much. I thank you that you are a God who's not far off, but who desires to meet with us. So, Lord, have your way in this place. We thank you. And we praise you. And let's pray together the prayer that Jesus taught us this morning. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen and amen. I share a song with you this morning. I'm sure it's going to be familiar to you, uh, but one I think we, uh, we really need in our day and in our time. To remind us that God is good all the time. Oh, uh, I think that song came out in the 80s. I never knew Don Mullen could play the fiddle like that. I mean, the uh, violin, that was, uh, that was good. Yeah, that's, uh, and I think this, especially this day and time that we live of confusion and chaos and all the stuff that's going on, we need to be reminded that I, I don't know all the plans, I don't understand it all. When our life is in his hand, he's going to take care of us. Amen? Because he is good to us all the time. And all the time, that is good. That is good. Since we have no kiddos that are going to the children's message this morning, we'll get right into the, into the word. We're going to finish up today in our study in miracles and ministry. A study that I believe um, not only has helped us to answer the question of what's the disparity between the book of Acts and now? Why aren't we seeing the kind of things uh, in our day that we saw back in uh, Bible times? But also, more importantly, I hope it has shown us that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever that we are the same church. 
that Jesus sent into the world. It's just 2,000 years later. It's the same church. Amen? said, on this rock, I will build my church. There isn't one church here and one church here. This is, this is all the same thing. We are the same ones that he commissioned to take his gospel to the world. And we have access to the same Holy Spirit that did amazing things. But I want to clarify, first of all, uh, what I'm talking about in terms of miracles. Uh, let's take an event from the Bible so that we can all kind of get on the same page. So, so here is Jesus, and he's out uh, teaching, and there's a crowd of at least 5,000 that are following him, and they've been with him for three days, and they've run out of food. So let me, let me shift away from the, from the real narrative for a minute, and let's say that Jesus says, you know, we got a situation going on here. We're out of food. We need to pray. So let's say that Jesus leads everybody in prayer. They get done praying. No sooner do they get done praying than over the rise comes a caravan of merchants with enough food for everybody. Now, would we say that God's at work there? Absolutely. Would we call it a miracle? We would. Right? I mean, because we believe that God is in charge of everything, and we would say, look what happened. Isn't that absolutely amazing that this food has arrived just in time? Praise God. That is awesome. Would our unsafe friends say that that's a miracle? Mm, maybe not. Maybe some of them would say, what a, what a coincidence. Right? So... Let's change the scenario back to the narrative of the scriptures. You have a little boy with five small loaves, two fish, right? He's got a sack lunch with him, you know, for lack of a better term. Jesus gives thanks, breaks this little bit of lunch into pieces to the extent that 5,000 plus people are fed, have as much as they want, uh, and there's 12 basketfuls of pieces left over. Now, is there anybody that would not say that that is a miracle? Or at the very least, this is unexplainable, right? This is unexplainable. This is not coincidental. So the Bible calls these kinds of miracles signs and wonders, okay? Uh, what's a sign? We have a sign out front. What does a sign do? A sign points us to something else, doesn't it? So a sign, biblically, what does it do? It points to the presence and the power of God. Whether somebody wants to acknowledge it, see it, open their heart to it or not, it points very clearly, God is here, and look what he can do. Okay? A wonder, on the other hand... Uh, Dictionary.com defines a wonder as something strange and surprising, a cause of surprise, astonishment, or admiration. Or number two, the emotion excited by that which is strange and surprising. So these are the types of miracles that I've been referring to in the last several weeks. Uh, those miracles that have been greatly affected uh, number one, by a general atmosphere of unbelief. Talked about that. Number two, by inaccurate theology, which has led 
uh, parts of the church to believe that God just doesn't do that anymore. And the third reason I believe that we aren't seeing more of these signs and wonders types of miracles in our day has to do with our relationship with the will of God. Our relationship with the will of God. Turn, if you would, to Matthew 17 this morning. Matthew 17. And while you're turning, let me give you the background here. Jesus and his inner circle, Peter, James, and John, they're up on a mountain. And while they're up on that mountain, the Bible says that Jesus was transfigured before them. Okay? He turns as white as lightning. He is glowing, bright, just incredible. And Moses and Elijah also appear on that mountain, and they're conversing with Jesus. Of course, Peter, you know, he's just like, wow, we, we just need to build houses for you guys all up here and live up here in the, on the mountaintop forever, right? Uh, don't we like that? Don't we want to just stay on the mountaintop, have the mountaintop experience forever, ever, and ever? Um, thank God for them but they don't last. They don't last. Um, we have to get back into the real world. And that's exactly what happened to them. They came down off the mountain, and all of a sudden there's this huge commotion. There's this crowd, and the disciples are smack dab. The other disciples are smack dab in the middle of this thing. So beginning in verse 14, uh, Matthew 17, it says this, and when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him, Jesus, and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately, and they said, Why can we not cast it out? And he said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. So we read this passage, and we come to the conclusion, it's all about faith. As long as you and I have enough faith, nothing will be impossible. We can do anything, right? But, like we talked about last week, we need to look at the whole counsel of God. We can't just take a passage like this and build a doctrine about it. A lot of damage has actually been done by building doctrines. If you just had enough faith, then your loved one wouldn't have died. If you would have just had enough faith, people have been hurt by this kind of teaching, right? So uh, we need to look at the whole counsel of the Word of God. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 9, for example, we have this exact same account. Mark, however, interestingly enough, mentions nothing about faith. Mark chapter 9, verse 28, we find these words. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? 
And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And the margin in your Bible more than likely will tell you that some of the early manuscripts uh, add the phrase and fasting, prayer and fasting. So which is it? Is it faith or is it prayer and fasting? What I have found through the years is that it's not an either or kind of thing a lot in the scriptures. When we look at two different passages like this, two different things, and, and we want to say, well, it's this. No, it's this. And, and people argue these things. Uh, what I find is when you put these things together, often something all the more important emerges. It's kind of like hydrogen and oxygen. They both have their, their function, you know, in the atmosphere and all. But you put the two together and you get rocket fuel. You get enough force to propel a man to the moon, right? So what is then this tie between prayer and fasting and faith? Well, what is the purpose for prayer and fasting? Prayer, and I'm going to make a distinction here, uh, which I believe I've made before. I'm going to call it seeking prayer versus asking prayer. We all know about asking prayer. Lord, here's my list. I need you to do this and this and this and this and this and this and this. Thank you very much. Right? Um, seeking prayer, as we pray Sunday mornings in the Lord's Prayer, what comes first? Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then give us this day. Seeking prayer goes after God. But what is your will? What do you want to have happen in my day, in my world today, in my heart, in my life? What is? What do you have to say, Lord? Before I share my list with you, I want to hear from you. very first sermon I heard on prayer was that prayer is not a monologue. Prayer is a dialogue. God has reconciled us to himself in relationship. He doesn't save us so that we can just, you know, stand idly by until he comes back to take us home. We, or we die and we go to heaven someday. Dying and going to heaven is the icing on the cake. He reconciled us to himself by the cross, the scripture says. It's all about relationship. Ever have a relationship with somebody that doesn't want to listen? All they want to do is talk? <laughs> How do you think God feels? Right? It's a relationship. It's a dialogue. There is so much importance in prayer in listening. Yes, we do our talking. Yes, he says, bring your prayers, bring your petitions, bring your supplications to me. Absolutely. He wants to hear what's on our heart. But we want to hear what's on his heart. Amen? Fasting adds a dimension on top of that, doesn't it? Something happens when we fast. Something happens when we say no to the flesh. When we turn away from the flesh to the spirit, uh, fasting says, God, there is something more important than filling my belly. 
And that important thing is you. That important thing is hearing from you. That important thing is connecting with you and, and, and getting a hold of, of your heart. And when we do that, when we say no to the flesh, uh, what we find is that we have a heightened awareness of what's going on in the spirit. We are better able to hear God's voice because our focus, because our passion, because our priority is him. And he opens the veil and begins to speak to us. That's what, that's what fasting does. I uh, remember we uh, um, talked about the woman at the well when the disciples came back with the food and Jesus said, my food is to do the will of my Father in heaven. Okay, he was in the midst of something that was transforming a life for eternity. And not only that life, through that woman who would go back into town and say, hey, I just met this guy. He told me everything I ever did. you got to come out and see him. He was changing a whole town of people. So many believers came uh, into the kingdom on that day. Jesus said, that's a lot more important. I'm not going to quit that. To go have lunch right there's a priority here when we fast it's a matter of us saying to the Lord God your will your priorities versus my earthly stuff okay and by skipping lunch Jesus demonstrated what was more important didn't he he not only demonstrated uh, the, the importance in his mind but he demonstrated his commitment to the will of God. You ever notice that the ministry of Jesus was 100%? Everything he commanded happened. Everything he set out to do, whether it was walking on water, healing the sick, raising, and then everything Jesus set out to do happened, right? Let that scroll around in your mind a minute. Does everything we pray for happen? Hmm. This is what John says in his epistle, 1 John 5, 14. He said, and this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. So let's take all of that and plug it back into the account of the demon-possessed boy. Why couldn't the disciples cast it out? Because they had so little faith. And why did they have so little faith? Because they lacked confidence. They weren't totally sure that God was going to back them on this thing. They came against this, this demon, all right, this, this evil spirit that was attacking this boy. He was possessed. And they came against it, and it resisted them. And they didn't know that they had the power and authority to cast it out. They didn't know that God was with them to do that. They lacked the confidence. And why was that? Let's put it in, in real simple terms. They missed their devotions that morning. 
or maybe several mornings. They had not spent the time, as Jesus said, in prayer. They did not spend the time getting God's heart for them. It's interesting that it was only several months earlier, as, as I do the research, that Jesus sent them out two by two and said, go into these towns before me, raise the dead, cast out devils, heal the sick, do all this stuff, and they went out and had great success. Now they have no success with this one situation. Somewhere between then and now, they lost that sense of who they were, what they were about, what they could do, what God wanted to do through them. Kind of sounds like the book of Acts to now, doesn't it? Somewhere be in between back then and now, we've kind of lost who we are and what is possible as God would lead us into the world. They lost it. Remember we, the point we made last week, how often Jesus went alone to pray. Look what he says in John chapter 5, verse 19 to 20. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees his father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him that you may marvel. Why was Jesus' ministry 100%? Because he always did what the father told him to do. That was his commitment. He didn't step beyond that. He didn't say, Lord, um, you know, would you do this and hope that God would back him up? He didn't command something and hope that the Father would do it. He didn't try to do something, step on the water and, you know, gee, I wonder if I can, if I can walk on this wave or not, right? Everything he did was something that the Father had already showed him. This is, uh, the Bible talks about, um, in Jesus' word, he said to the church, he said, whatever you bind in heaven will be, or bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven, right? If you know those verbs in the Greek tense, it's not, you speak it and I will back you up. The tense on the verb is, whatever you bind will be what has been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose will be what has been loosed in heaven. In other words, it's not us stepping out on something and hoping that God will back us. It's about us getting a hold of the will of God that he wants to do and enforcing it in the earth with miraculous results because God can do anything. If God determines that he needs me to walk on water for something, I can walk on water. If God determines that he wants that lame person to walk, that blind person to see, right? Then you and I as instruments of the kingdom, ambassadors of the kingdom of God can be used of God to do his will. And he uses people, right? God doesn't just come down and sovereignly uh, do all this stuff. He uses people, ordinary people. But it's, so do you see the importance 
of not hope so, but of being in God's presence, hearing his voice, understanding what his will is in a situation. And then we will have that confidence to speak that thing out, to pray that thing into being. And nothing, and I say it again with Jesus, nothing will be impossible. That's the church. That's our identity. That's you and me, right? That's you and me. Same church, same Holy Spirit, same power, same Father in heaven, yesterday, today, and forever. So, so where are we going with all this? What is the challenge for us? The challenge for us is this. Can, can I ask this question with, with one finger pointing out and three back at me, as is often the case for, for a preacher? Um, how much of our prayer time is asking and how much is seeking or listening? And I think God would challenge us as a church to make sure that we're spending as much time listening as we are talking, that we are going after his heart and his will and say, God, what do you want? I find myself doing this in situations more than I ever did. You know, something happens and I, and I, and I get on my knees and I pray, I say, God, what are you doing? What are you doing here? It was interesting. I, I shared with you uh, years ago how my son Tim, at eight months old, whew, man, it still hits me every time I think about it. When he went down the cellar stairs in his walker, 13 stairs down to a cement floor and a fractured skull. And we're in the hospital. And you know, anybody who's had a sick child, you know what I'm going through, right? Mind is going crazy. I can't make eye contact with him. He's lost in space somewhere. And they're, they're trying to, you know, get um, an x-ray to find out whether his neck is broken and all this kind of stuff. And I'm praying and I'm saying, God, God, you got to help us here. And, and I, I remember, and this is not me, you know, I remember saying, you know, I had a pocket New Testament in my, in, in my pocket, and I said, God, I can't just go here and point to a verse and say, God, you have to do this. I said, you tell me what you're doing, and I want to agree with you. And I said, I may not like what you tell me. I, I might have to come kicking and screaming, but... I want to know what you have to say on this. And, and the, the, the reality is my mind is going crazy. My emotions are going crazy. You know, to think that, that God could get a message through to me uh, while all that's going on is just beyond me. But he spoke to my heart. And he gave me two passages of scripture. One was from Mark, they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. And the second one was from Ephesians. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or we can think. And I said, okay, God, I'm going to lay my hands on my son and I'm going to pray for him. And I said, I'm going to pray everything that I can ask and everything that I can think. And I prayed 
for his brain, and I prayed for his motor skills, and I prayed for his physical ability, and I prayed for just everything that I could think of. And I said, there, God, now I invite you uh, graciously to do exceedingly abundantly above all the that. So today I have a son who we're going to see this week um, with, with a master's degree, probably going um, farther than that, who can do backflips, um, who uh, at, what, three years old, whatever that was, he's flipping through mommy's Bible one day in the front row of the church. And he says, look, mommy, for God so loved the world. He's pointing right in John 3. I don't even know where that came from. <laughs> but um, God did more than I could think. And um, very, very grateful for that. So I share that just to say, uh, to challenge us, to challenge us all. We, we have situations in our lives. We have situations in our friends' lives. We have situations in our families' lives, um, people that we know in the community, whatever. Let's get into the presence of God. Let's take that thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's, let's expand that vision to include signs and wonders if that's the way God wants to do it. And let's say, God, what do you want to do in this situation? I'm listening. And like Jesus, I want to be committed to do what you tell me to do. And I believe God is gracious. Um, there, there may be one, of, one or more of us this week that will step into a situation, boom, see a miracle. I, I'm not discounting that. But also I think sometimes God kind of understands that we crawl before we walk and we walk before we run. That God would begin to train us to hear his voice and to step out in little ways to kind of build things up before we start stepping out in bigger and bigger things. I, I, I've seen God do that, and I think that's the way he would generally, and I say generally, I never want to put God in any kind of box, right? He can do what he wants when he wants. Um, he got through to me when I, I couldn't listen, so... You know, I didn't, I didn't spend four hours that morning uh, before the throne. But the general principle is let's learn to tune our ears to him. Hear what he has to say. And then say with Isaiah, here I am, Lord. Send me. Amen? Amen. Let's uh, seal this with a song this morning, one I'm sure you're familiar with. I love this version. Be thou my vision. Now let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you. First of all, Lord, for calling us into this thing you call the church, your body, your hands and feet reaching out 
to a world that is lost, a world in need, a world, Lord, that you are preparing. A world, Lord, that you want to come to know you. So God, we just say, here we are. Imperfect as we are, Lord, we want to do, like Paul says in Philippians, we want to forget what lies behind, but press on toward that high call. Speak to our hearts, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, all of God's family said, Amen and Amen.